Say this with me. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Everybody say it together. One, two, three. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we've been breaking the scripture apart. I've been highlighting different segments of it. I want you to notice the last line today. That you may be filled with to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you know what that means? To be filled with God's love. That's the goal, is that you and I would be filled with God's love. Now, here's what's crazy. God is love. So if you claim to have God, you have his love. And that becomes the battle within us. is because love has been defined by us. And I'm here to tell you today, I want to share some truth with you. And it's time that the church quits letting Everybody else define love. And it's time that we realize that God is love. He defines himself. And it's incumbent upon us who claim him to be our Lord to come in line with his definition of love. Now, love. Do you know that, that um, the Greeks have anywhere from seven to eight different words for love? When I was taking Greek and we had to... To learn some of these, um, there was a debate between seven and eight. We chose eight. And so I'm going to share with you the eight. I went and dusted off some old books out of the attic <laughs> this week. Man, it's dirty up there. And I um, want to share with you the Greeks' understanding of love. These aren't on your notes. You can scribble them if you want to somewhere, but don't worry about it. First one, philia or phileo is how it's used in the Bible a lot. Phileo is affectionate love. All right? It's a love that runs deep, listen, in true friendship. True friendship is phileo love. How many friends have you had since high school that are still friends today? If you do, that's phileo love. It's a love that runs deep in friendship. A second one, pragma. It's the word we get pragmatists from. Okay, Pragma love is mature love that develops over time. It's why Dale and Pauline and others in this show, I'm just, I'm just highlighting them today. It's the Dale and Pauline show. Um, you know, you've been married how many years, Dad? You know how they have made it 54 years because they have pragma love. It starts one way when they met and first got married, but it changes over the seasons of a lifetime together. That is pragma love. And one of the reasons why the divorce rate is so high in America is because we don't grow in love. And as I'm talking to you today, I want you to know that this is my generation's issue too. Especially those coming behind me, but my generation. Because we are the generation that is birthed from the generation that divorce spiked in. I mean, it was dad's generation. It was the free love generation. Where things begin to splinter and everything began to become self-centered. And man, we need to get back to some pragma love. Amen. It's, a, it's, it's love that you put in for the long haul. It's effort you put in for the long haul. That's pragma love. A third one. Storge. Storge love. What do you think a word that we might have in English from the word storge? Stork. What is the stork used for? Delivering babies. Storge is the Greek word for parental love. You just thought somebody come up with a stork and dropped it down a chimney just because they, they can't. No, it's from a Greek philosophy. All right, storge. Um, it's love between parents and children. It's love between childhood friends. And do you know what is the fuel of this love? Memories. Memories. That's why when we get together at Thanksgiving, we share stories. It doesn't matter if we've heard the story six, seven, eight, twenty times. 
It's because it's storge love that's being given to each other. We're sharing memories together. Do you know why memories are important? Because they become ancient memories, memories become the maps of our future. Here's what I mean by that. It's when you hear stories about the troubling times of your parents, how they fought for their love. That becomes the map for you when you face in your marriage those times where you've got to learn to fight for your love. It, it, those memories can become a map for us. Storge is an important type of love. Here's the one that everybody's familiar with. Eros. Okay? Now, everybody just relax. I know we're in church, but this is real life. We're a real church. You know, we get the word from eros, erotic. Eros is erotic love. It's personal uh, infatuation or physical pleasure. It's eros. There's a great book by Mr. Chapman called The Five Love Languages. If you haven't read it, you ought to read it. There are five, he, he categorizes five basic love languages that people have. Now, I'm just going to talk about all of us. I am not talking about me as I tell these stories, about me and Chandra. I'm just saying all of us are this way. So how about on the count of three you say, I'll be honest. One, two, three. I'll be honest. When you were dating, boy, you had no problem with physical contact. And physical touch is a love language. When you were dating, you had no problem talking for five hours on the phone. Communication, vital communication is a love language. When you were dating, you had no problem creating memories together. Key moments. Quality time. That's a love language. Do you see what I'm saying? But then what happens after we're married? Because our culture is ignorant of storge love. Our marriages become stale. And what we wind up doing is we go back to the times of how it used to be. And we, we will break one relationship seeking for what we used to have with somebody else. And that has become the definition of our culture with love. It's self-interest first. Take care of yourself. Which is why so many young people choose not to get married. Do you know there is a belief in my generation and the generation behind me that when you get married, it ruins the vibe? Now, that may offend some of us, but please understand, every generation learns from the generation above them. And when my generation grew up where marriages begin to implode, love was thrown into question for us. Well, we can't look to mom and dad about love. Because theirs blew up. And then the church, whose great message should be love. When our divorce rate now exceeds the divorce rate in culture, we have no platform to stand on to talk about love. And yet we're supposed to be rooted in it. Maybe the problem is that we've allowed the world to define what love is. Hmm. Just something to think about. Eros love. Now listen. Just because I agree with everything I've said, I do have a challenge for you. Let's change the narrative. Start holding hands in public again. Come on. Go. I don't care if you've been married 30 years. Go to Lake Overholster and hold her closer. Make out with each other. Kiss each other. Love on each other. Fight to keep the love alive between the two of you. Don't give it up. Anyway, I'm going to stop playing. This is a fun one. Ludus. Anybody ever heard of Ludus love? Now, that doesn't mean lewd love. Lewd, lewdest love is playful love. It's a story. See, I'm going to go to store. I'm going to go back and pull some some uh, memories out. 
when my mom and dad were first married, my dad was brutal to my mom. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Just got to tell the truth. They got married and they got to college. And dad decided to have some ludus love and have a pillow fight with my mom. And my mom, being the little Greek tornado, was not going to go down quietly. And she got dad cornered. And dad, like every good man, understands not all battles you need to win. And she was letting him have it with the pillow. And he went and he blocked the pillow with one arm. And somehow the pillow slipped out of his other hand. And bam! I agree. <laughs> and honey, this is the guy that's taught me about love. Just <laughs> Another time they were playing around their little bitty college apartment. And he was having some ludus love. And they were having a tickle fight. And she takes off running. I can just see my mom ah, just having a good time. And she runs up. Well, she goes up the stairs and there's, there's the rail. And she catches her arm on the rail and gets up to the top. And dad's chasing her. And she turns around and she's having ludus love. He's having ludus love until he saw blood. And she cut her arm. And then, you know... The, 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 the love of deep relationships yeah. kicked in. And he said, we've got to stop the bleeding. We've got to clean it. And he, he didn't know what to do. So, so the Ludus love grabbed alcohol and poured it on the wound. <laughs> now listen, I have enjoyed those stories my whole life. To listen and watch them tell those stories and you know, it was to rib dad, but I remember one time where mama turned around and she said, but son, that's what love looks like. Love is playful. It's not just hot and heavy. So, when was the last time you had a good pillow fight? Permission granted. <laughs> Have some ludus. A few more. Mania love. Mania love. Now, this, this, is, this, this is not a good one, okay? Um, it's like manic. Mania love is an obsessive madness over a love partner. You ever seen a marriage where the guy controls the wife? That's mania love. So whenever I get to do weddings... One of the lines that is non-negotiable people, when people ask me to do weddings, there's, there are several things. First of all, you have to be willing to, to sit with Shandra and I, and we're going to go through some counseling together. Because listen to me. Listen to me. I'm 100% on the weddings that I've done in my ministry life. None of them have ended in divorce. But I will tell you this. While we're, date, while we're communicating and you're, we're looking at getting married, I'm going to try to at least once try to get you to fight to break you up. I would rather bring some things up and have you deal with them before you walk down the aisle than let you walk down the aisle blessed and have it fall apart. I'm 100% and I'm proud of that. But that doesn't mean I married everybody. But one of the lines as we build the ceremony that is non-negotiable is I look at the man and I say, the ring is not a shackle and the woman is not under your feet. She stands by your side and she's a helpmate to you. And marriage is not 50-50, it's 100-100. That's right. That's right. It's all in. That's there is no room in a godly relationship for manic love. Right. All right? We got to be careful. We can't be... Somebody who is in this kind of love, they are focused on their self more than they are the other person. Falutia. This is a good one. Falutia. This is having a healthy self-compassion love towards oneself. So let me just tell you something. If you have accepted Christ's forgiveness, the first person you need to forgive is you. Yes, that is true. You need to let go of your stuff. You need to forgive yourself. That's having good self-love, all right? I got to hurry. And then the one we are familiar with, agape. Agapeo is how it's in the, the New Testament. This is an empathetic attitude of love for everyone and all people, but it is rooted in God's love. 
The idea of agape love is John 3.16, for God agape, agapeo, for God agapeo the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay? So agape is, here, here's a good definition if you wanted to write this down. Agape love is love to the point of self-sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. So the three that are most common in the New Testament, and then I'm moving on, is phileo, which is brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. You think that's a coincidence? Phileo. Then there is eros. That's the, the erotic love between a husband and a wife. And then there's agapeo. And that is God's love to the point of self-sacrifice. Anybody remember real quick? And then I promise I'm jumping to the notes. Anybody remember the story where Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes. One of the great studies you should ever do is to look at the Greek words there. Because they're not the same for love. The first time, first time he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter, do you love me like a brother? Lord, you know that I do. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you phileo me? Lord, you know that I do. Then feed my sheep. But the third one. Peter, do you agapeo me? You know, the mouth that said, I'll never leave you, yet you left me at the cross. The mouth that said, you would never deny me, yet you denied me three times. Do you agape me? Do you love me to the point of self-sacrifice? And that's when it got Peter. Listen, God doesn't just want us to be masters in phileo love. He wants us to be masters in agapeo love also. So, today's pop song. Um, I, I almost pulled this off. I really wish I would have pulled the trigger. I'm going to do it next time. We were going to have we, we were going to we were going to have have a display of the Ouija's as we came in and sang. How deep is your love? Song by the Bee Gees from the '70s is the title for today's talk. And I just want to ask you this question: How deep is your love? Why the Ouija's? Because last week. I began to talk to you about the culture of our church, and we use the word we, right? And we're going to continue that today. So Holy Spirit, help us. The first thing I want you to see, and we're just going to look. We're, we're, we're not going to take long. I know there's a lot of notes. Just I want to teach you a little bit today. Today's not as much preachy. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. If you are a Christian or you have grown up in church or whatever, even not growing up in church, you have heard people quote or preach from 1 Corinthians 13. I want to try to do it a little better justice, if I may. Not meaning injustice to anybody else. But 1 Corinthians 13 has been framed by the world to be a chapter defining love. The church often misinterprets it as well in building messages about brotherly love. And in both cases, within the context of this letter, those are incorrect. To understand really what Paul is getting at, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of the letter, and in the beginning of the letter, he makes a comment. He says that we are being perfected until the time that all things are complete. So he's setting out at the front that everything that follows is in place until there is this completeness that's in the future. Now, there are some Christians who, um, and you've probably heard some of this, so just let me set up the ground. I am not meaning any disrespect to any of our backgrounds, but I've got to stand and tell you the truth. There are some people that are going to take a scripture I'm going to read in a few moments, and they're called cessationists to say that after, the whole, after Jesus rose from the dead, we are now in this complete state, so everything as far as the gifts of the Spirit is no longer needed. Right. And that's not true. I am complete in Christ. Christ did everything. I can't earn it. I can't. It's Him. But I'm still in an incomplete world. And we are living in both worlds. And until the new heaven and the new earth emerge, until that which he is working on is completed, we are weak and need the assistance of the Spirit of God. Amen. Okay? So, that's why in 1 Corinthians 12, he deals with spiritual gifts. Coming out of this idea of spiritual gifts, and he's writing to the Corinthian church that... Um, if he would have written this today, 
Get ready to get offended. It would have been called First and Second Charismatics. It was written to a group of people that loved their gifts and loved showing their gifts, and they compared each other's gift to they compared their gift to each other. And he's trying to offer some correction. And so he comes out of this chapter in chapter 12 talking about gifts. And he talks about tongues and the purpose of tongues. And he talks about prophecy and the purpose of prophecy. And a lot of Pentecostals don't like to deal with that because he plainly says that, the, that gifts are a sign for the unbelievers. They're not for us. That's what happened at Acts 2. They spoke in literal earthly languages that they did not know. And when all these people from all over the, the world at that time heard them speaking in a language they knew, those people don't know my, my language. And yet they heard God, uh, the word of God. It was a sign to them. And many, 3,000 people gave their life to Christ that day. Right. Now, what's the greater miracle? That Peter spoke in tongues? Or that Peter spoke one voice and yet it was translated to however many tens of Hundreds of languages that were represented right there. And they all heard him and understood what he said. It's a sign. And he says it. Tongues are a sign for the unbelievers. He then says prophecy is a sign for the believers. All right? He's not saying necessarily one is better than the other. What he's trying to do is he's trying to talk to a group of people that have gone off the deep end with their giftings and trying to say, look, you're having a great time together, but when strangers come in, they are lost, and they don't get what's going on. So let's bring some balance to this thing. And it would be much better for strangers to come in and hear you prophesying to each other because then they can hear it, and their hearts will be convicted, and they will come to know Christ. So we do value the gifts of the Spirit at New Life. But I am unapologetically telling you, I value prophecy. And here's what I mean by prophecy, speaking life to each other. When you're going around and you're greeting each other, you're prophesying to each other whether you know it or not. It doesn't just mean forth-telling. It means speaking life to each other, caring for each other, saying, man, what's going on in your world today? And then caring for each other. It's prophecy, all right? He comes off of that with 1 Corinthians 13, and this becomes the root of it all. And if we are to have the love as God defines it, there's three things I want you to know about the love here at New Life. Number one, love enriches. Love enriches. Verse one. If I could speak with all of the languages of the earth, I'm going to read it out of the New Living simply because it's easier for people to understand, okay? If I had the gift, or if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, so he's talking about earthly languages and and heavenly languages. If I could speak all those but didn't love others, I would just be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Oh, I got to speak in tongues today. If gifts are not driven by agape, they are nothing more than a loud noise that draws attention to oneself. But God's love enriches. Okay? Next verse. If I had the gift of prophecy... And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Do you realize that we make Christian heroes out of people who have these giftings of God? And we wonder why ministers blow up. It's because there is a point to where, if we're not careful, it's not driven by agape love. It's driven by self-love. And it's driven by, I want to show off. When we first moved into this building, I want you to know that everything that we redesigned in this building is a seed. It's a seed. For example, this platform. If you saw pictures from... Three years ago, the platform actually stopped about right here. 
and it was steps. Everything was steps. And it was great because it made easy access to get to the floor, you know. And why do you want to get to the floor? So you can pray for people. But as we were, as I was in here, asking God, Lord, what are you doing and why, why am I here? What? And he told me, build this. And stay up and teach the people to minister to each other. Because I'm just a person just like you. And we've made heroes out of the anointed instead of doing what we're called to do in 1 Corinthians 12, which is equip others for the work of the ministry. So if you want to know why we did this, that is it. And that's why when we ask you to come forward or we ask you to stand, we'll be turning around and we'll be saying, hey, why don't you pray for each other? Or uh, eventually during this summer, uh, we, we want to uh, pull some of you that would like to be a part of a ministry team, that would like to pray for people. If that's something in your heart that you desire, we want to talk with you. We're going to build a ministry team together and we're going to let God minister through you. So that's why this was done this way. Because it's not about the person on the stage. It's all about you and the God that's in you. And you need to know that if you can trust him here, you can trust him outside these walls. So let's practice together. Because if we can't pray for each other in the family, how are we going to be willing to be in Walmart? And hear someone who is struggling and feel this tug, pray for them. If we haven't developed the belief that God is in us here. Does everybody understand? That's one of the main purposes of why we're here. All right? So, if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move bounds but didn't have love, I would be nothing. Next verse. If I gave everything I have to the poor. Someone asked me last week, it really bothers me that you don't pass a bucket. I said, I understand, so let me talk to you about why we don't. It's because several reasons. First of all, in the New Testament, we don't see them passing buckets. In fact, what we do see is Jesus standing at the doorway into a tabernacle, and he saw a woman put something in the plate. And he confounded everyone and said, she's given more than any of you. Because it's not about who sees who putting what in. That's between you and the Father. So we don't pass a bucket because I'm going to trust God with the finances of our, of our family and our church. You know what I'm saying? So there are giving buckets at the back. We're going to have some giving stations throughout the entryway as we go through the summer. We need you to be faithful in your giving so we can put some of those things in place. But giving is between you and the Lord. Now here's what I will tell you. People argue about giving because their heart is selfish. I have some friends who aren't here today. They're exhausted. They launched a new business yesterday. And um, hi, Brad and Bree. Proud of you. But at this event, Bree had some samples out on the counter. One of them looked like wine, and my wife went right to it. <laughs> it wasn't. It was collagen. Anyway. Um, I was cool with she, but when I saw her giving it to Madison, I was like, hey, what is that over there? <laughs> you know. Why do they do that? Because if you're going to gain, you first have to sow, you have to plant, you have to give. Receiving always follows giving. And there's a principle in the Bible. It's very basic, okay? That every tree in the Garden of Eden produced after its kind, right. right? You don't plant an orange seed and get an apple tree. Yes? Sure. So here's the spiritual principle. Whatever you give is how God will respond to you. Right. So listen to me. If you're in financial trouble, then you need to start giving out of your finances because that becomes the mechanism that he blesses you. Right. Argue with me all day, but I've got story after story after story after story 
of people, when they began to trust God with their finances and began to give, they were blown away at how God blessed them. Now, here's what happens a lot of times is we get in this idea and we start giving and stuff and we give a little and God blesses and then we get out of our jam, you know, that we're in and then suddenly we think we got it. And then you wind up being in another jam, and that's why people go from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. I don't want you to go from crisis to crisis. I want you to listen to the Father and do what he tells you to do. That's my job as a minister is to teach you to do that. All right? You do what God tells you to do. Now, for those that have been raised with the whole thing about tithing is the rule, it is not a rule. I'm sorry, we're under the new covenant. We're under grace. In the old tithing rule, 10% belonged to the Lord, Malachi 3. Bring the tithe that belongs to me. You ready? In the new covenant, God says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of the earth. It all is mine anyway. It's all mine. So, do what God tells you to do. But if you, but be faithful, be a part of what he's wanting to do in you by, by giving uh, into our family here, all right? But note that if you give... That is not a sign of your spiritual maturity. That is not a sign that you're higher than someone else. One of the things that I've seen in church, that you've probably seen in church, is that the people that give the most get power. We're going to follow the example of Jesus. Again, as we move into this year and and later into this year and going to do a class on leadership, I'm going to teach on leadership seed into the culture of the leadership of our church. I want everybody to understand this is the proper position of leadership. That's true. Because Jesus, the greatest leader of all, wrapped his tunic into his belt and put a towel across his arm and he picked up a water in a basin and he did for the disciples what they wouldn't do for themselves. He served. You want to be great in this church? Be the best server in the church. How deep is your love? Well, what we pull from this scripture is that patience keeps us. Patience keeps us. Love is patient, right? Love is patient. Why do we need patience? Because we're all people and we all blow it. Remember uh, last week we said at the end of the message when we talked about forgiveness, we all said we're going to admit that nobody is perfect. So it's holding the idea that somebody can't mess up or make a mistake. No one's perfect. So we need to have patience with each other. Patience will keep us together. And kindness will connect us to each other. God's love, agape, is patient and it's kind. Aren't you glad that God is patient with you? Aren't you glad that his kindness is for you? That he's connected with you? Let's be a church that's patient with each other and that has kindness in our heart towards each other and the agape love of God will be displayed, all right? First, love enriches. Second, love edifies. Edifies. This is where prophecy kind of comes into it, okay? Let's continue reading. Verse 5. It does not, love is not jealous, all right? It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. I love this verse because now he's getting us to understand what agape is not. If love is patient, then it's not jealous. If love is driven by kindness, then it won't be boastful. It won't be proud and it won't be rude. It does not demand its own way. Well, it's my way or I'm leaving. Well, then you don't have agape in you. Don't argue with me and what I'm saying. Argue with the gospel, the Bible. It doesn't demand its own way. (laughs) Hey, it's not irritable. Some of you just get irritated over stuff. The older I get, the less I care about what irritates you. If it's not eternal, get over it. Seriously. It's not irritable. Oh, how about this one? Oh, here's a challenge. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because without the Holy Spirit, we can't do this. It keeps no record of being wronged. 
Do you know how quickly we could heal our marriages if we would quit holding a list of our wrongs against each other? Well, I can't forget. You're right, you can't. But through the spirit of love, you can deal with it and you can move forward without holding it against each other. Amen. It doesn't rejoice about injustice. The church has been way too silent on this for way too long. And every time that the church is silent about a key issue, we abdicate our voice to the mob. Listen, they're driven by the right thing. There is injustice in our world. At least they've got the guts to try to do something about it. While we stand around and hold the fort for I am coming. I was talking with my dad the other day. Um, is this all right, everybody? I know I'm not preaching. I'm just teaching you today. Um, there was a song that I was actually in the restroom, and it came to mind. Do you remember which one it was? Oh. And I came in, and I was like, Dad, I can't, I can't sing that anymore. Everybody will be happy, will be happy over there. So you can't be happy here? We will shout and sing God's praises over there, but not here. It's that escapist generation theology of get me out of here, God, because it's all going. What if he's left you here because he wants you to be this army that he's trying to raise up to change a world? Well, this side's awake today. <laughs> but man, we've got to stand up against injustice. And I'm just here to tell you, our world, the economy has got to crater. Because it is stacked in favor of the few against the many. Now, I'm not a socialist. And I'm not even telling you the political party I belong to. But if you can't look at things and see that certain people get bigger benefits than others, you're blind. So the only way it's going to get dealt with is we better get ready because the country, our culture, has made a god out of our economy and there will be no other gods before him. Which is why you better be in Goshen, in the spirit land of Goshen with the Father who says, I'm going to take care of you no matter what goes on around you. See what I'm saying? But we need to stand up against injustice, find injustice, and take stands. Let me tell you one way you can take a stand. And see, I think a lot of us, we get, ham, we get hamstrung because we, we think we can't make a big difference. How about you make a little difference? So, at some point this summer, I'm going to coordinate it. We're trying to coordinate it with Wayne and Donna. I would like for every single person who's a part of New Life to go on one event with them where they go down and feed the homeless. It will change your life. Sure. It's changed mine. I see things now I didn't see before. And what it's done is it's forced me to deal with the Pharisee inside of me. Right. You know, the, the side of me that, because I know some things. Do you know that the average person that stands on the quarter makes over $30,000 a year in Oklahoma City? Tax-free. Yeah. Man, that beats some of us. And we can let that drive a wedge in our heart. But for every person you see that you think probably is milking the situation, there are others that are not. And we let the few become the excuse for not acting on the many. Wayne said it's 40 or 50 to 1. So here's what I'm doing. Here's something you could do. I don't travel. In fact, i got to buy a new one today because I gave my last one away. I don't travel without a case of water in my car. Because when I stop at a stoplight and someone's there, at least I can give them a, a bottle of water. Now, please understand, to me, everything is a seed. It's a prophetic statement. Do you know that the Bible says if you give a cup of water in my name, right. you'll receive a prophet's reward? Right. Right. Hey, I'm going to bless somebody, but I'm giving and I'm accepting the blessing that is coming into my life. Right. All right? Do something about the injustice in our society. But it rejoices whenever truth wins out. How deep is your love? What can we pull from this scripture? 
peace settles us. You see, in the Corinthian church, they were comparing their giftings to each other. They were trying to be the most vocal, trying to be the most seen. I remember one time when our church was young and we were in the theater, we had a, a, a lady that, that came in um, with a tambourine with the big streamers on it. And um, we were a young church. We were just starting. A lot of people that we were attracting at the time that we are beginning to attract now here uh, because it's the call of my life is to those that are hurt and wounded but love and, and want God to change their life, but they're looking for the real thing and not a fake thing. Okay, so we've got all, we had over 150 people in the theater on this one day, and she just starts banging this tambourine, and it was offbeat on top of that. But she was praising Jesus, right? Afterwards, I met with her, and I said, man, I'm so glad that you were here today. Thank you for coming. When you come next time, would you mind if, I want you to worship God however you want, but would you mind doing that in the back of the theater? So that we don't distract people from the presence of God. Do you know she never came back? Do you know why? Because her heart wasn't worship. It was to be seen. We had another time with a young lady, beautiful interpretive dance. Beautiful. Beautiful, just dancing. I had the same conversation with her. She came back for about four weeks and danced in the back. Because she didn't care if anybody saw her. She just wanted to worship Jesus. And she was in the Air Force and she got transferred. And I so wish that she could have stayed with us. Because I loved worshiping from the stage and watching her do her thing. And I can only imagine the joy that the Father got. I want you to know, worship God how how you want to. But just worship Him. But make sure that our heart is for Him and not ourselves. All right? Peace will settle us. Let's don't compare with each other. Let's just be at peace with who God has made us to be. Amen. Preferring others will ground us. Put others above yourself. Put others above yourself. And thirdly, forgiveness will drive us. Let's walk with that attitude of being God's love and forgiving agents to each other. Amen. All right? And lastly, number three, Love endures. Verse 7. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy, here we go. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. I would much rather us major in agape and minor in tongues and prophecy and dance and yada, yada, yada. Because love lasts forever. But we need the others Because they enable us to do what we naturally can't do. I naturally can't always forgive. But when I understand that I'm filled with the forgiver. And that I am forgiven. I suddenly have the strength and the ability to forgive. Okay? That's why we need the spiritual gifts. Is to help us do what we naturally can't do. But love will last forever. How deep is your love? Commitment will empower us. Dell and Pauline, 50-some years together because they're committed to each other. I haven't done much right in my life. If you guys will go, thank you. I haven't done much right in my life, but this I know I got right. A few days before Shandra and I got married, we had a conversation together. And we stood alone by ourselves and we talked for a little while. And at the end of it, we looked at each other and we said, so we're agreeing, we're committing to each other right now privately. This is it for us. This is it for us. We're going to go through whatever comes together. We're not going to bail on each other. 
We're in this for life. It's not just words. This is really what it means for us. And I am so glad that she said yes because it has been tested on her end so many times. (laughs) So young people ask me, what does it take to have a perfect marriage? Commitment. You won't get it right. And you will hurt each other. And you will blow it up. But if you're committed, everything that gets knocked down, you'll rebuild. And you'll rebuild it the second time stronger than the first. That's growing in love. Commitment will empower us as a church. And lastly, now our knowledge is partial. Talking about right now. Our knowledge is partial and incomplete. Even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, when he returns, when we are changed in that twinkling of an eye, when this body that is corrupted with sin and sickness becomes transformed into a body that sin no longer touches and death can no longer control, when that perfection comes, we won't need tongues and we won't need prophecy. And we won't see in part. But we will know it. Everything. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Because when I was a child, please understand, he's not talking about literal. He's using an analogy. Please get this. For us. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. That's the church today. We are children. That's why we have to be reminded of this message. That's why we've got to deal with our pride and we've got to deal with being a show and and drawing attention to ourselves because that's what children do. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. When he comes and we're transformed. The childish things of the arguments about tongues and the argue, and moving. It, oh, it ain't going to matter. That's child's play. We're with him. We're one with him. We see it all from the end to the beginning. We see the backside of the tapestry. All of the weavings that he has done throughout human history to get us to that point. We'll totally get it. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we'll see everything with perfect clarity. And that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, I love this, I'll know everything completely, look at this, just as God knows me completely. Yeah, and that's why his love is so amazing. And that's why we need to look at ourselves and ask the question, how deep is my love? Because we can pull from this. That commitment, yeah, it it empowers us. It empowers us to stand with each other when we don't want to. That the spiritual gifts enable us to do what we can't do on our own. That's why we need to earn them and we need to seek them earnestly desire spiritual gifts but understand this truth three things will last forever faith hope and love faith faith in a God who has an amazing love for us hope in the body of Christ that we can become who he has designed us to be. We can become the embodiment of agape love. We can get this right. We can do this together. And love. Agape. And the greatest of these has to be agape because it is God who sustains us. 1 John 4, 16. We know how much God loves us. And we put our trust in His love. Because God is love. And all who live in love, live in God. 
Can I just tell you real quickly, and then I promise I'm done. We're going to sing. Is that okay if we sing chorus together? It is a lie that you fall in love. That's a lie. You choose to love. Yeah, it might start as phileo. It might have a little bit of the playfulness. But love is a choice. Not only do you not fall in love, listen to me. If you can't fall in it, you can't fall out of it. This is not some boat on the Ozark River that you've got to have a life jacket on because you might fall out. There is no life jacket in the kingdom. There is the king. If you can't fall in it, you can't fall out of it. Now, some of you are having trouble right now because your definition of love is how you define it. But if we let it be defined by God, I don't fall in love with him. I choose to love him. And if I can't fall in love with him, I can't do something to fall out of love with him either. Why? Put that first scripture back up really, really quickly. Why is what I'm saying true? Because look back at Ephesians. May we have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. So I ask you today, how deep is your love? Do we need to ask God to forgive us for letting the world define it? And do we need to come back to a place that says, God, you define who you are to me? Are we willing to come to a place to say, Lord, I want you to be Lord enough in my life that as I see what love is, I'm going to submit myself to you. And I'm not going to give myself an out. I'm not going to say, well, I can't do that. I can't forgive that person. But I can do all things through you who strengthens me. New Life Church, I'm seeding today into our culture. And I don't apologize for taking the time. We are to be a church of love. Not human love. His love. But when we get His love right, it will impact our human love for each other. It's the cross analogy again. When you get things right vertically, it has horizontal benefits. So, aren't you glad for His amazing love? Would you stand with me today as we contemplate how great... How great is your love?